0: Well, hello everyone, and welcome to Waterfront Church. It's great to get to be here with you, man. I tell you what, summer is upon us. Uh, I uh, go by the incredibly accurate uh, thermometer on my car dashboard, and uh, it was over ninety degrees today. Uh, just amazing! And we record on Friday nights. Um, that's uh, important to tell you uh, for the Sunday morning service because, as of this Friday, this is officially our ninetieth day uh, that uh, that we have been uh, that we have been under these, uh, these meeting restrictions. And so um, I just wanted to be able to tell you, there is hope, uh, the Lord is before us, and uh, this is something that we will do for a time. But uh, just like Denver prayed moments ago, we can still find hope and joy even in the midst of these difficult circumstances. And so uh, thank you again for spending time. Um, I met, uh, got to meet up with some friends this week and get to hear. And uh, Arvia, if you're watching, hello, it's good to see you through the camera. And uh, uh, Arvia said uh, uh, the other day, uh, this was yesterday, I got to see her. I so saw on a Thursday and she said, I just watched the sermon today from Sunday and it was amazing. And so enjoy it. You can come to the broadcast and you can watch a, a different, a different days of the week. But again, there is something special uh, about us gathering together even if it's online. So, if you got your bibles open to Genesis chapter 26 and then Genesis chapter 46 will continue our story of the life of Joseph. But, we're going to go back just a little bit uh, and talk about tradition today. So, our study today starts with this question. Have you ever had to break a tradition before, okay? Uh, every one of us have got different traditions that we've hold held on to whether it be with family, whether it be with work, sometimes it's with friends. For Autumn and I, one of our traditions that we had for more than 10 years is we always went in person to watch her Texas Tech Red Raiders and my Oklahoma State Cowboys uh, go and play against one of them. Some of you are like, Zach, why are you wearing the Tech shirt today? I grew up in Lubbock. They're my second favorite team. And uh, some of you may be watching this uh, online. Uh, the uh, the Tech uh, Head of uh, head of Equipment is a dear friend. He and I went to high school together, and he always sends me cool stuff. And so uh, for you OSU fans, fans watching, send me some cool stuff and I'll wear more OSU shirts. Anyway, all that to say, enough of that plug. We went 10 years to the Tech OSU game every single year to watch it in person, and we just loved every second of it. But then something happened. We moved to Washington, D.C. It was a whole lot easier to drive from Lubbock or Wichita Falls or Dallas to Stillwater and Lubbock for the football game each year. But once we got here to D.C., that tradition... It had to go by the wayside. It was an amazing stretch while it lasted, but it was not something that needed to continue. It got too expensive, not just would we have to buy tickets, but we'd have to find sitters to watch the kids overnight. We'd have to pay for the plane tickets. It just was something where it was time to break with tradition. Sometimes we break our traditions over money, Sometimes we break our traditions because it's just a different phase of life. We used to do Christmas, and our tradition was always for my family that we open presents on Christmas morning. But now that we are in D.C., we have worked together, and we go our our big Christmas tradition now is that we do the Christmas Eve service together, and then uh, we actually show up and we open presents on Christmas Eve evening. Now, here's the deal. Some traditions are ones that we can keep going over and over again, and then some need to be looked at and revisited. It's one thing when it's a football game. It's one thing when it's Christmas traditions. It's another thing when it has to do with the way that you have lived your life and the things that you have held dear. And all of a sudden, when something changes, when your world is shaken, it changes everything. Now listen to me. With everything that we're navigating in the world today, this passage is one, just like the last two weeks, that the Lord had set aside just for us today. So I want to encourage you. Know that I'm not trying to tack hammer an issue. What we're doing is just going verse by verse through the book of Genesis, through this amazing story of Joseph, and we're going to go through today and talk about when Jacob, Joseph's father, had to make a powerful decision to break with tradition. Look at what happens. Genesis chapter 26, verses two through six, we find out what that tradition is. Look at what it says starting in verse two it says the lord appeared to isaac now underline and highlight isaac here isaac is the father of jacob And Jacob is the father of Joseph, okay? So, our amazing story that we've been going through this whole time. Uh, Remember, there's a famine in the land, and Jacob is now going to move to Egypt to be with his son Joseph. Uh, He's moving his whole family there, but here's the thing. This is a really big decision because of the verses that we're about to read. Look at Genesis 26, and now let's look at starting in verse 2 again. So, the Lord appeared to Isaac, to Jacob's father, and said, Don't go to Egypt. Underline and highlight, don't go to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, underline for a while, and I will be with you and bless you. Underline, I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give them all these lands, through, and through your offspring all the nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements and my commands, my decrees, and my laws, so Isaac stayed in Gerar. Now stop there for just a minute. The tradition of the family of Jacob was stay in the land, and listen to this, do not go to Egypt. Now here's what's so interesting. It says for a time, but for Jacob... He has been told by his father Isaac, who was told by his father Abraham, that God was going to bless them in this specific territory, in this specific area. And now all of a sudden in Genesis 45, all of a sudden Joseph is alive, the son that he thought was dead, that the brothers had sold into slavery. Joseph is now the second most powerful person in all of Egypt, basically in the entire known world at this point. And all of a sudden, Joseph says, uproot because of the famine and come be with me in Egypt. You see, what had been taught to Jacob by his father was don't leave the land. Do not go to Egypt. And you know why he said don't go to Egypt? Because he was afraid. He was afraid that his children, his descendants, would embrace the foreign gods and leave behind their belief in Yahweh. He believed that they would be corrupted by the Egyptian land and by the Egyptian people. And so God has given him this word to stay in the land. But now the Lord has paved the way for something beautiful and new. And he has said through Joseph, come, move to Egypt, and I will take care of you through this time of difficulty. We sang moments ago about being shaken And that when we build our life upon Jesus, when we build our life upon Yahweh, that we will not be shaken. This is a moment where Jacob has got to be shaken. It's going against the tradition that he was supposed to stay in this location. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? In an ever-changing world, we serve a never-changing God. Let me say that again. In an ever-changing world, we serve a never-changing God. The key in this passage is that God had told Isaac to do this thing. But now, God is telling Jacob to do something just a little bit different. So it begs our big million-dollar question. How do we proceed... When the world around, the world as we know it, is shaken. How do we proceed when the world as we know it is shaken? When what we knew to be true, the traditions that we held to, all of a sudden everything shakes like the foundation beneath our feet. How is it that we are supposed to progress this idea of being trapped in a in a world that's shaken, I always think of like a shaken up Coke bottle. You ever had that happen before, man? I love to drink Coca Cola, and I'm telling you, especially on a hot day like the one today, man. When you see a shaken up Coke bottle, here's what happens. I mean, you, I've got this Coke bottle, and uh, if I've ever dropped one before, it's gotten shaken up. Here's what happens. You're so excited to drink it, but then once it's been dropped, you know, if I twist that top, this thing could explode all over the place and make a mess, even though I desire the refreshment I'm a little nervous to open it because it has been shaken it's the same thing we know as believers in Jesus Christ that God is in control that he is the one guiding our steps and yet sometimes when the world is changing is different when the things we knew like through this era of COVID it seems like the future is uncertain it's like looking at a refreshing bottle of Coke that's been dropped on the ground You still want to drink, but you're a little nervous of what's going to happen when you turn the top of the soda. So how do we proceed when the world around us, when the world as we know it, is shaken? Jacob is about to give us a template for that. Look at what he does. Genesis 46, and now we're going to start in verse 1. Another name for Jacob, by the way, was Israel. It's kind of like his formal name, all right? So here's what it says. Genesis chapter 46, verse 1. It says, So... Israel, that's Jacob, set out with all that was his, look at this, and when he reached Beersheba, He offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Now stop right there for just a minute. This is the first time in numerous chapters that Isaac has been mentioned since his death. And right here, it's brought up for a very specific reason. Jacob is leaving the land of Canaan. And the last word from God Almighty on Canaan was don't leave here. Don't leave this place, you'll be blessed here. And not only that, I'm gonna fulfill the vision for Isaac, I'll fulfill the vision for Abraham, that your descendants will be as numerous as the sand on the seashore, as the stars in the heavens. I'm gonna fulfill that vision for you. And he says, stay right here. But all of a sudden, the famine's happened in the land, God is blessing Joseph in Egypt, and now he's been called to move. So here's what happens, Jacob loads everybody up, but he's got to ask God for permission. So it says he stops at Beersheba. Beersheba would be the equivalent of just outside the camp. They go just a little bit, and then Jacob stops and he goes, everybody calm down. I need to talk to God for just a minute. It says he offers the sacrifice, and then it specifically brings up Isaac because he's about to break with tradition. If he goes any further... He is going to break with tradition, and he's trusting God for a new promise. Now listen to this. How do we proceed when the world as we know it is shaken? Number one, first and foremost, we must value Scripture over tradition. Let me say it again. We must value Scripture over tradition. Now just for the record, Scripture itself is not a tradition. Scripture is the word of Almighty God, amen? Scripture is the word of Almighty God. It is the consistency in our lives. It is the light that shines in the darkness. In fact, if you're taking notes, write this down. You don't take anything else away from today. I hope you'll take this quote. Are you ready? Scripture does not evolve with time. It is the constant light that shows us the way. Let me say that again. Scripture does not evolve with time. It is the constant light that shows us the way. Traditions can ebb and flow, but what lasts for eternity is what's written in this book. What lasts for eternity is what God has given us in his word. How do we proceed when the world around us, the world as we know it, is shaken? We must value Scripture over tradition. There are going to be times when you have to decide, even though we went to the Tech OSU game every year, in order for us to do what God's called us to do here in D.C., we have to let go of that tradition in order to cling to the truth of Scripture. Sometimes... There are traditions that were well-meaning that might have been good for a time in your life, but the truth of the matter is, God is calling you powerfully from that tradition to trust God and to follow Scripture in a more clear and concise way. Scripture doesn't evolve with time. It's the constant light that shows us the way. Light does not evolve Light exists and it moves. Study the speed of light sometime if you can. It's so very interesting. Light doesn't evolve, it doesn't change. Light exists and it moves. It's very, very fast. But when it touches something, it illuminates it. That's the role of scripture. It's living and active. It's not changing with time. It simply is illuminating in our culture, in our time period, in our own individual soul. It's illuminating the truth. One of the hardest times in my life that I had to break with tradition happened when we had just moved to Washington, D.C. and my father had gotten his cancer diagnosis. I'll never forget. Guys, my dad was my best friend. I loved him so much. And then all of a sudden, he's sick. The church doesn't exist at that point. Again, we're negative two months old, all right? And I remember we got a call from Lubbock that was basically come home, work at the church that I'd worked at for five years, um, take care of my father at the end, and then help him transition in death, and then we could figure out what would happen with the church after that. And can I tell you what I did? The tradition in my life was to be there for my father, and there was nothing that I wanted more than that. But I was studying scripture that day, and I come across Luke chapter 9, verses 59 and 60. It's where Jesus is speaking, and he says to a man, follow me. And the man says, I will follow you, but first let me go bury my father. I'd heard this passage preached numerous times and I'd always heard it preached that either the man, uh, his father had just died and and, uh, the funeral was that day or I'd heard it preached that it was actually a cultural picture and the man said, once my father dies in the next five to 10 years, then Jesus, I'll be free and I can follow you. I'm kind of in between those two messages. I'm sitting there going, Lord, I want to plant this church that you've given me the vision to plant that doesn't exist yet and yet my father is sick And I need to help him. The church that I used to work for, that dad was pastoring, I needed to go back and to help them, I felt like. And I'm sitting there and hearing this passage and going, Lord, you've shined a light into my soul. You've shined a light into my situation. My tradition of being a good son. My tradition of being a good staff member at that church. That tradition of living in Lubbock, Texas. But I'm here in D.C. and all of a sudden I read it. Lord, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus looks at him and says, let the dead bury their own dead. You go proclaim the kingdom. It was a light in that pivotal moment for me. And I remember thinking, I've got to stay. The following verses, our man says, Lord, I'll follow you. But first let me say goodbye to my family. That also fit with my circumstances. And Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of heaven. You see, Scripture shines the light and shows us how we should live. Is it good to be a good son? Absolutely. Was it good to care for my community? Absolutely. But what God had called me to, Scripture had shined the light in my soul that I was to be here and that our church was to exist. The funny part about that story at the end, some of you heard this before, I remember the day I called my dad. I had just done my quiet time through Luke 9 and I called him and I said, Dad, I can't come home, I have to stay here. God wants to plant this church. And my dad's response was he goes, you were thinking of coming back? He said, I wouldn't have let you if you tried. He said, you got to see if that crazy vision you had 10 years ago, 13 years ago, is actually going to come to fruition. He goes, you couldn't have come back if you had tried. I wouldn't have let you. We've got to value scripture over tradition. Save your spot there in Genesis and flip to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 12 and 13, some very famous verses that we have to remember when we're looking at tradition over what God's word has to say. Look at uh, Hebrews chapter, sorry, Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 12 and 13, some famous verses about God's word. Here's what it says It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts, look at this, and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare uh, before the eyes of him who we must give an account. Stop right there for just a minute. What we find in this passage is that God's word again is like light. It's living and active. It's moving. It's not evolving. It's illuminating our circumstances. And he says it divides and cuts through. So that we can know what it's really about. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You see, your mouth can talk its way around a whole bunch of stuff, but your thoughts and attitudes in your heart are what you really believe, what you really mean. And with Scripture, when you read it, it is what it is. I don't believe that every single one of you watching this should be at a point where you go, okay. I'm choosing my job that God's called me to do over taking care of my parent who has cancer. If that's what you heard, you missed it. In my specific circumstances, God revealed to me that this is what I was supposed to do. He revealed to me that I needed to put my hand to the plow and not look back. The attitude of my heart was to serve the Lord completely and wholly. Then I was able to back that up with scripture. If you're taking notes, a question here for you. Does Scripture support your action or your lack of action? For the decisions that you're making, can you back it up in God's Word that that decision is the godly decision to make? Or are you in a circumstance where it's the opposite? You avoid Scripture like the plague because you just want to do what you stink and want to do. If that's you, you're going to miss it. When our world is shaken, the very first place we should go is to Scripture. We go to the light so that we can find our way through the darkness. Now look at what he does next in chapter 46, verse 2 of Genesis. Flip over to Genesis 46, and now let's look at verses 2 through 4. So he offers this sacrifice to God, basically to say to him, again, the God of his father Isaac, saying, Lord, can I do this? Can I make this move? Can I move my family? Or am I going against what your word was to my father? Am I going against, not a tradition here, am I going against the word of Almighty God? And look at what it says, verse 2. And God spoke to Israel. He spoke to Jacob in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am. Jacob replied, I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Underline and highlight that. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph His own hand will close your eyes. Stop right there for just a minute. So many cool things happening in this little passage of Scripture. It starts off again with Jacob going, Lord, can I do this? Am I breaking with you or am I breaking with tradition? I'm okay with breaking with tradition, but, Lord, I want to do what you've called me to do. And all of a sudden, God shows up, and I love this. He doesn't call him by his formal name. He calls him by his personal name. He goes, Jacob, Jacob. It's God's way of saying, I'm not formalizing this. I'm talking to you personally. He said, I am still macro going to fulfill the vision that I gave to Abraham, to your father, Isaac. And now that I've given to you, he says, I am still going to make you into a great nation. He says, I'm still going to bless you in this land. But he said, for now, don't be afraid to go to Egypt. Don't be afraid to let things be just a little bit different. And then watch this. Macro, I'm going to keep that promise I made to your father and grandfather. Micro. And Joseph, Joseph himself will close your eyes when you die. Remember, up until just, I mean, days before this prayer is prayed, up until days before this moment of sacrifice He has thought that his son Joseph, his beloved, his favorite son Joseph, that Joseph had been killed. And the Lord reaffirms him and says, macro, the vision's still intact even though you go to Egypt. Micro, I'm still going to bless you in the day today. And you can look forward to seeing your brother. You're seeing your son, Joseph, again. If you're taking notes, How do we proceed when the world as we know it is shaken? Number one, we value Scripture over tradition. Go to the light to illuminate the darkness. If Scripture says it, we believe it. If Scripture affirms it, then we affirm it. If Scripture says it's a sin, then we believe it's a sin. Go to Scripture. Value that over tradition because that's what lasts. It's the light. It illuminates. And then, number two, remember, God has your good in mind. God has your good in mind. God tells Jacob, don't be afraid to go to Egypt. Remember, the reason that Egypt had been off limits was because he was afraid for numerous reasons. In this case, the journey to Egypt is Jacob is a very old man making this trek across country. I'm sure he's afraid because his body was frail. Not only that, we talked about it, he felt like he was leaving the promise, leaving the tradition that had been passed down to his father. He's afraid that his sons will fall into idolatry and greed, make poor decisions. He's afraid of the loss of his heritage. And yet, God has called him to this journey because God has his good in mind. You see, when the world gets shaken, if God has allowed it, there is something good that can come from it. And only his mind can see it. But we have to trust him that he is good and that he does good things for us. If you're taking notes, write this down. You cannot reshape metal without increasing the heat. You cannot reshape metal without increasing the heat. In order for God to shape us into something different, he has to heat things up around us just a little bit. Isn't that the way that it's gone recently? For the past 90 days, he's heating things up so that he can reshape them. And God makes good things. Remember that. God makes good things. There's a famous verse, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That might be one of the most famous verses in all of scripture to put on greeting cards, all right? It doesn't make it any less true. God desires our good. He knows the plans he has for us. Can I tell you what I always remember in that verse? God is not winging it with your life. God is not just going, man, let's just see what happens with TJ. All right, let's just see what happens with Casey. Let's just see what happens with Josiah. Man, I'm really interested to see how this goes. No, he knows the plans. He has laid out the path for your life. He knows the plans that he has for you, and they are good plans, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. When things happen to us, it is just our way to go, Lord, why are you doing this to me? Why are you allowing me to hurt? When the truth is, the Lord says, for the metal... To be reformed into something new, it has to be heated up. I gave this example last night to a group I was talking to. When I was a kid, I was always playing outside, and I would skin my knees all the time. And anytime I would come into the house with that skinned knee, I'd come in, and my mom would go, Oh, It's going to get infected." And if she ever saw my skin knee, my mom would come up and she'd go, it's gonna get infected, I gotta get the alcohol, all right? Did you ever have a parent, grandparent that always got the alcohol? I mean, that was, again, that rubbing alcohol and there was a cotton ball And she get that thing and then dab it. And here's the problem. Have you ever had alcohol poured poured on a wound before? I mean, you can feel every ounce of that infection, every ounce of that open wound, and it stings so badly when it touches. It's just, oh, I mean, you just can't believe it, right? And I'm telling you, when you're a little kid, you look at your parent and go, why would you do this to me? Why would you want me in more pain? I've already skinned my knee. Why would you want me in more pain? And it's because it's for your good. It's eliminating the infection so that you can move forward and not worry about something really awful happening to you. What starts off as a skin knee could turn into an infection that caused you to lose the whole leg. Now again, that's an extreme circumstance. But if a wound's left unchecked long enough, you can end up with some real big problems. The sting is actually purification. From a spiritual perspective, the sting is sanctification. It's the elimination of the infection so that then things can heal properly. God has your good in mind. He didn't just want to see you hurt. If that's what he wanted, he wouldn't have sent his son Jesus to die for us. God loved the world so much that he sent his son for us, that if anyone would believe in him, they wouldn't perish, but they would have eternal life. When God turns up the heat, when God sprays that neosporin, when God puts the rubbing alcohol to our wound, that sting is the sign that the Lord is working on us. It begs the question, have you misjudged God as absent? Have you misjudged God as absent? when the truth is he's allowing us to go through a time of sanctification so that we can again walk with him as disciples. And now we have a last set of verses for this section today. Look at what it says. Look at Genesis 46, and now let's look at verses five through seven. Look at what it says here at the end. Again, the Lord has said to him, macro, I'm going to fulfill that vision for you. And micro, Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. It's not just going to be something where I go, ah, sorry, Jacob, your life is over and uh, it's never going to be any good. He looks at him and says, this is for your good. I'm still going to fulfill the promise to your offspring, but this is also good for you individually as well. Now look at verse five. It says, then Jacob left Beersheba And Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him they also took with them their livestock and possessions they had acquired in Canaan. And Jacob and all his offspring, underline Jacob and all his offspring, went to Egypt. He took with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters and all his offspring. Stop there for just a minute. Notice that in that verse, three sets of verses, you get over and over again what really mattered to him. It mentions the livestock a couple of times, but three times it says sons, daughters, granddaughters, grandsons, everybody in his household. That's the most precious commodity in the ancient world and the most precious commodity that we have today. Our families. It says that in this passage, as Jacob calls out to God and God says, I'm still going to give you the macro vision. I'm still going to care for you in the micro way. Jacob has to look back at his whole family and go, guys, I've talked with God. I'm going this way to Egypt. I know that by tradition in our family i've told you year after year we stay in the land god's gonna bless us right here but now i need you to follow me as we move forward in this new vision that god has given he's illuminated it through his word if you're taking notes how do we proceed when the world as we know it is shaken number one value scripture over tradition everything is tested through the eternal nature of god's word Second, remember that God has your good in mind. He knows the plans he has for us, and they are good plans to prosper us and not to harm us, plans to give us hope in a future. And then number three, we must move forward knowing that people are behind us. Move forward knowing that people are behind you. The sons, the daughters, the grandsons, the granddaughters, all his offspring are watching his move of faith. They're watching him to see this unfold. It's a powerful picture here as you study this passage because just as Jacob looked to his father, as his father built traditions, but Jacob had to learn to look to the Lord, Jacob knows they're looking to me for guidance right now. But one day I'll be dead, and they must know to look to the Lord for their guidance as well. Man, many of y'all know, Lulu's my buddy. Lulu's our oldest child. I love all of our children. We just have a great family. There's four total kiddos. Um, We are really just the best of friends, all of us. And it all started with Lulu. The day that Lulu was born was truly one of the best days of my entire life. Everything changed. it's crazy. You feel like you age, the day that first child is born, I mean, you feel like you age a decade in 10 minutes. You know what I mean, Denver? I mean, that moment, it's like a switch flips and you just go, I can't believe it. I'm responsible for another human being besides myself. It's just amazing, that moment. For the woman carrying the child, it's a little bit different because their bodies are connected uh, during the pregnancy. But for the man, it just happens in some different ways. And I'll never forget, that day Lulu was born, I heard her cry and she had had some lung issues during during, uh, Autumn's pregnancy. And so because of that, Lulu, when I heard her cry, it was just amazing. It was like a switch flipped in me, and I remember thinking I would do anything for this little girl. Well, at that point, the doctor looks and says, because of the lung issues as a precaution, we'd like to take Lulu to uh, the, uh, the pediatric ICU, and she said, your wife is going to stay here. Autumn had some stuff that they needed to do to her after the, after the birth, and um, I'll never forget, the doctor looked at me, and uh, he said, would you like to stay with your wife, or would you like to go with your daughter, pediatric ICU. Now you want to talk about growing up in an instant. I couldn't be both places at once. My wife is my best friend in the entire world. And it was like, whoa, what do I do? Well, I look at Autumn and I go, sweetheart, what do you want me to do? And Autumn was so doped up on pain medicine. She goes, I'm fine. Whatever you want to do. It was actually the perfect moment. She goes, I'm fine. Whatever you want to do. And so at that point I said, well, I'll go with Lulu. You stay right here. So I go to pediatric ICU. I get in there And they've got her in this incubator, but it's got this light on to kind of help her body. She had a little bit of jaundice, and so they've got her in this light. She's got this little snorkel on so that she can get a little bit more oxygen as her lungs are developing. And again, uh, they put these these little sunglasses on her. I mean, she looks like she's sunbathing just right there. It was so, so cute. And I'll never forget, there was each of the babies have these, uh, these little monitors so that if any baby is taken past a certain point on the uh, pediatric floor, it locks down the floor for an hour so they can figure out uh, who it is. It's a, it's a deterrent to make sure uh, that nobody kidnaps a child or tries to do anything awful. And so all that to say, a false alarm happens while I'm in there with Lulu. She is minutes old. And then all of a sudden, it's me and her in the PICU and the doors lock and everything locks down because a mom had accidentally taken a baby just a little bit too far on the floor. I got something that most dads don't get. The first hour of Lulu's life was father and daughter. Just me and her. I remember I stuck my hand into the incubator And Lulu grabbed my pointer finger and she wouldn't let go. For an hour, my daughter held my hand. I love that kid. I mean, I'm telling you, all she has to do is breathe and I just think that it's the greatest miracle. We found a book that she had made at school. And in the book, One of the questions that the teacher had posed was, how do I make a difference? And do you know what sweet Lulu had written? I wrote it down. How do I make a difference? Lulu wrote, by making my daddy proud. I read that, and Autumn looks at me and she goes, oh my gosh, she goes, you two are beyond cute. She goes, that's just ridiculous. When I was 10 years old, I can remember feeling that way about my father. I wanted nothing more than to make him proud. And even into my early 20s, that was all I ever wanted. But something happened in me. Making my father proud was a noble pursuit. But the calling of my life was to make my heavenly father proud was to do what he had called me to do, was to live for him in faith with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. After hearing Lulu's answer to how do I make a difference, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I want her answer to be to make my heavenly father proud. And I'm going to have to live in such a way that I model that for her. That she wouldn't look at me and go, My dad and pleasing him is my highest pursuit. I want her to know the God that I serve. I want her to follow him with everything she's got. And I want her to model that faith and not the behavior of a man. I think as we get older, we realize we're all frail, we're all weak, we're all sinful. And the Jesus peace is what lives into eternity. If you're taking notes, write that down. The Jesus portion of our lives is what echoes in eternity. The Jesus portion of our lives is what echoes in eternity. It begs the question, are you leading people to Jesus? Are you leading people to Jesus? Or are you doing your very best to preserve tradition? Even Jacob, even the man who... Israel gets its name from, even Jacob had to go, there's tradition, and then there's what matters in eternity, the illuminating power of God's word, the belief that God is good and that his intentions for us, his plans for us are good, the belief that we move forward knowing that at some point we will pass away And it will be the next generation's turn to carry the banner for a time. The Jesus part of us lasts. Everything else, everything else burns away, just like the dross. I love you guys. Thank you for listening today. I've even, as a pastor, got things to work on through this. Don't tune out. The most important part of our service these next few moments. Let's bow our heads for prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me. We call this our time of reflection. There's nothing mystical or magical about this time. It's just a chance for us to stop and to process how we're different because of the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and then specifically the scripture that we've read. Is there anyone here today watching this video Again, whether it be on Sunday, on Thursday, on Friday, or even 10 years into the future from when it was recorded. Is there anyone watching this that would say, Zach, it's time that I value Scripture over tradition. It's time I trust God, that I back my life up, not through what I've seen my parents live, not through what was taught to me by an organization, but that I would truly run my life through the grid of God's Holy Word. Again, just wherever you are, take just a minute, and if that's you, and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I wouldn't follow tradition, I wouldn't follow culture, I wouldn't follow what's popular, or what's democratic, but that you would say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would run my life through the grid of God's Word, and that I would do what He wants me to do. If that's you making that decision, If you just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you for your courage. I'm going to pray for you, but your prayer is simply this. I would hold up your Bible or hold up your phone if that's what you've been reading your Bible on. Hold it up and say, Lord, I choose your way. God, I choose your way. And then the prayer I pray most often is, God, I trust you. I trust you. In fact, sometimes I don't hold up God's word. When I'm alone, I'll press it to my heart like this, and I'll go, God, I trust you. Your will, not mine. Second, maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? Honestly, the world is changing so drastically around me, and I feel like everything is spiraling out of control. Remember, God is just as in control today as he has ever been since the beginning of time. God is God He is sovereign, He is over all, in all, through all. I wanna encourage you, if that's you, and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would remember that God is good and that His plans are good. If that's you, nobody looking around, if that's you, and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would remember that God is good and His plans are good. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand. Thank you. Thank you for your courage. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you, but your simple prayer is just to pray this, God, I trust you. That same prayer we prayed a moment ago, God, I trust you. You are good, and your plans are good. Pray that simple prayer. If you need to hold the Bible to your chest as you pray it, you totally can, but you got to mean it with your whole heart. God, I believe you are up to something good, that you didn't lead us this far to just leave us in a ditch. And then last but not least, Maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I do my best to follow Christ, but honestly, I need to be sure that I'm leading that generation that's behind me. I need to do my very best to pour into my children. I need to do my very best to pour into the youth in our community. I need to do my very best to lead in such a way that people who are going to be here long after I'm gone can know and remember the love of Christ, that He is the light that his word illuminates every aspect of this world. With nobody looking around, if that's you, and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would be mindful of the legacy that I'm leaving for a new generation. Pray that I would be mindful just the same way, and just for the record, I could raise my hand on this one today. If that's you, and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray I would be mindful of the generation behind me, that they would look at my life and they would see Jesus. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you for your courage. I pray that you would remember that story of Lulu. How do you make a difference? By giving your life wholly and completely to Jesus, not by making your daddy proud. I love you guys. Thank you for listening today. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll stand and sing. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. Thank you for the chance that we've had to study your word. Lord, if there is anyone here today that is looking for truth, I pray that they would go to Scripture, that they would think back about the amazing people in their lives that you've placed in their path, uh, the amazing organizations they've been connected to, but that they would run their life through the grid of Scripture, that they would use it to shine a light in the darkness, to illuminate their path. And Lord, we pray that you would keep the promise that we've read in your word, that your word would be living and active, that it would cut us to the core sharper than any double-edged sword, that it would illuminate those attitudes of our heart so that we could know the truth. And Lord, for those who are here today worried about the world, worried about how everything is shaken, I pray that they would remember today that you are good, your plans are good, and that the future will be good in your hands. And Lord, for those who are cognizant of leading that future generation, open their eyes to see them. Lord, I pray that you would help them to live for a life that's eternal and not to be tied up in the spotlight being on them, but on them illuminating you, your work, which you've done. God, I pray specifically for my own family today. I confess my sin of vanity It clearly is prevalent if my daughter could write that in that book. Lord, I pray that when she sees me, she would see the work that you're doing. And God, I ask in the name Jesus Christ, I ask that you would draw Lulu to you. I pray that she would cling to you her whole life. And Lord, I pray that she would have great faith. I love you, Lord. Thank you so much for the chance to get to be pastor here at Waterfront. Speak in power in these final moments in Jesus' name.